We've been walking through a series called Life Apps. And the reason we've been walking through this series is we have been pressing into this incredible truth and this incredible uh, importance that application actually matters. Application actually matters. We were talking uh, about this idea that in my life, I've purchased a treadmill. Has anyone here ever purchased a treadmill? That's a big purchase. Yeah. How many of you have purchased a treadmill and then you've gotten rid of that treadmill because it didn't get any use? Yeah. Yeah, some of you have, right? There's a thing that happens to us. We instinctively feel good when we hear something, when we take some action about something, but not necessarily if we've actually done the thing. How many of you have ever signed up for a gym membership and then not gone to the gym? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Don't do that. Don't do that. I know you're like, oh, I'll hit my hand up. That's it there. I'm in that, right? But we do that. Or you watched a, uh, you watched like a, uh, what would it be a late night infomercial, like a P90X kind of a video, right? Anyone ever order one of those things and then not do them? That's even worse. Don't raise your hand for that one. We don't want to know if you did that, right? But we do that. And we know that those things may be helpful. Or you bought a diet book and you read about all these awesome recipes that would be incredible. And you did the reading but you didn't actually do the cooking or the eating to line up with it. And we know that great ideas are great ideas, but application is what actually brings change into your life. I had a pretty uh, funny experience this week. So uh, I had to get approved for life insurance, not for me, but for uh, something else. I had, to, I had to be a, a person on a life insurance thing. And so I had to do a phone interview for this life insurance. So they're asking me questions about myself. And there was a little series of questions that went something like this. Lady on the phone, very sweet sounding lady on the phone. Do you exercise regularly? My response, define regularly. <laughs> she said, three times a week, at least 30 minutes or more. My response, define exercise. <laughs> she said, you're allowed to define that yourself. My response, my treadmill has been very lonely right now. <laughs> Why? Because application actually matters in my head versus what I've actually done. You know this is true even in like your home repair projects, right? This past week, I installed into uh, the, the master bedroom toilet a new fill valve. I have needed a new fill valve for a couple of months. At the moment I needed one, I went to the store and I bought one. And then there was a box with a fill valve sitting on top of the toilet. Underneath the toilet was a bucket and a towel for about two months, waiting for me to do about a 10-minute job if I didn't know what I was doing, which I didn't. It was about 10 minutes for me to figure that out. But it sat there for almost two months. Some of you are thinking, seriously, Pastor Mike, a fill valve, it takes like maybe two minutes, right? That's all the time that it really took. But I felt good because as soon as there was a problem, I identified the problem, I went to the store, I bought the thing I needed, I brought it home, and then there was like this overwhelming sense of relief, like, ah. Oh. But I didn't actually do the repair. Some of you have buckets of paint that you bought for projects. You've got buckets of stain that you bought for projects. You've got all these things around for projects that are someday ready to get going, and you felt great when you went and got the stuff to get the project ready but that's not the same thing as doing the project. The same truth applies in your faith. Time after time after time, we see examples of us, believers, Christians, and we hear information, we hear truth, we hear about what God says, and we go, man, that's good, that's great, yeah. And then you think, man, I got up, I got in the car, I DVR'd the game, 
I showed up at church. I listened to the word. That was awesome. And you get in your car and nothing changes. And so James, some 2,000 years ago, one of the very first pastors, made this profound statement to us, church folks. He said, hey, don't merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Nothing changed because you listened. It changed because you did something. He goes, do what it says. So that's what this whole series has been about. Can we actually not just hear what God says, but actually do what it says? So we've been going through some different applications. We've talked about forgiveness. We've talked about confession. And today we are talking about trust. Now I'm going to be honest with you today. I thought this was going to be way easier than it ended up being for me this week. I have struggled with this application right here. I have struggled with it. Here's why I have personally struggled with it. I had to be honest and ask myself the question, do I naturally trust easily? Do I lead with trust? Do I believe trust is critical in relationships? Do I believe it? Yes. Do I do it? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't like this application at all because it challenges some things in my core. I was trying to think about when did I stop trusting? It was a middle school dance. <laughs> and I had a young lady walk up to me. I was done up, man. I had my party in the back, my Superman curl coming down. I was flies wearing my Jordans, acid wash jeans. They were tight, rolled up on the bottom here. I was looking good. Button down cholo shirt, because I wanted to be jock butt gangster at the same time. <laughs> Standing against the wall with all the other middle schoolers, just waiting for a slow song to come on with like beads of sweat coming down the side of my face, thinking, is anyone gonna dance with me at this moment? Some of you have not been to a middle school dance. Now you feel like you have, so there you go. If you haven't been lately, you should go chaperone one. It is hilarious. Don't go to high school dances. They're awful. <laughs> That's all I need to say. You should go to a middle school one, though. It's hilarious. There will be kids crying in every corner. <laughs> all right, this is, totally, uh, this is totally just free. I was chaperoning a dance because I was working for the Park and Rec District, and I walked around the dance with, uh, with a clicker, and I was clicking, counting how many crying kids that I found in one dance. In one three-hour dance, there's about 200 kids there at this dance or whatever. I got up to 13 crying girls and one crying boy. I was so excited when I found the boy. I was like, yes. And so anyways, it was like the, like the unicorn. Right? <laughs> it's just what happens, man. You're emotional. Your hormones are going. You don't know what's happening in your body. And so, so anyways, that was fun. Sad story. Anyways, flash backwards. I'm at this dance, and this girl walks up to me, and I'm like, oh, awesome. She's going to talk to me. And she goes, hey. And I said, hey. She goes, will you dance the next slow song with my friend Amy? She really likes you. I was like, yes. But I'm playing it cool. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. That's fine. She goes, okay, great. That's awesome. And then she leaves. Now, I got to have a moment of honesty. I have no idea who Amy is. I don't know what she looks like. I don't know who she is. And I don't know if I'm being punked, but, you know, I think I have someone to dance with. So next slow song, Stevie B, the Postman song, comes on. Come on. If you're old enough to know. <laughs> because I love you, my heart's open. No? Oh, come on. 
I'm the only one. Someone come back, to, back in time with me, right? Somebody come back in time with me. My heart's open door. Anyways. I feel like I can't preach to this crowd. You don't know Stevie B. Go home, YouTube, Stevie B, Postman song, and feel that moment. All right. Song comes on. I'm like, yes. And I start walking in the direction that that girl walked away from me, right? I'm like, okay, that's fine. Let's just walk over there. So I start walking over in that direction because I'm going to go dance with Amy. And I see a girl, and she's making eye contact with me. She has that same terrified look that I kind of have, right? So I'm like, okay, must be the one to walk up. I said, hey, are you Amy? She goes, yeah. And I said, well, let's dance. She goes, okay. So we dance, right? It's like this. And we're just kind of back, back and forth doing this, right? Just, this is about the whole thing that you're doing at this middle school dance. Dance gets over. I'm like, awesome. She walks away. I walk away. I'm like, yes. I danced with somebody. Like, courage, everything great. I walk back to where I was. And when I walk back over there, there's a girl standing there. Yeah. And I get over to her, and I'm like, hi. And she goes, oh. and she reaches back. And she slaps me across the face. It's the only time I've ever been slapped in my life. And she goes, I can't believe you said you were going to dance with me and you didn't. And then she storms off. I danced with the wrong Amy. How, what is the statistical probability of me walking up to another Amy and dancing with her? And it was like trust broken, right? I trust nobody at any time. Someone could just haul off and smack me. It's the only shot to the face by a lady that's ever happened to me like that. It was pretty amazing. And I realized from that point on, my trust just went like, vroom. I was like, verify, 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 verify. So with that said, trust is a big deal. Let's define trust as we walk in there. What is trust? What is trust? What does the dictionary say trust is? Trust says it's reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, surety, etc., of a person or a thing. We want to believe in it. We want to know that it is sure. What else does it say? It says it's a confident expectation of something. It's hope. A confident expectation of something. Now, let's just ask this question, see if you agree with me. Is trust an, an important part of a healthy relationship or not? I think most of us would say yes, right? A confident expectation of something or hope. So, so I thought, okay, I get this. You know what I really like talking about? I really like talking about trusting God. Trusting God is a great topic. I can preach that. I can dive in. I can talk about in every storm. Hope anchors our soul that we only drift but so far because we're attached to the rock who doesn't change. We can put our hope in him. We can trust him from, from, from beginning to end. He's unchanging. He cannot deny himself. By the very nature of God, it demands that we trust him. I can preach some trust on God. But here we are in relationship with one another. And all y'all just said it's important that we trust each other to have good relationships. I don't like talking about trusting you guys. That's hard to get in front of you and talk about. That's a little more complicated in our interpersonal relationships. So I'm wrestling with this this week. Monday, I'm telling you, I went home angry. I went home angry. I almost never do that. I looked at the message. I'm like, this is garbage. I'm picking a new app. I'm out. I can't stand in front of someone and preach this. I'm so frustrated right now because let's face it, I gave you a little funny scenario to kind of break the ice, but some of us have some pretty legitimate reasons to not trust. We've been through some stuff. We've been through some experiences. And see, we all bring two things to every relationship in terms of trust. We bring what we've seen 
and what we've been through. What we've seen is, okay, I'm evaluating your behavior now, right? And I'm deciding if I'm going to trust you. So I bring what I've seen about your behavior, and I make a decision on whether or not I'm going to trust you. So we had an appointment, and you didn't show for that appointment. Or you said you'd be home by 8 o'clock, and you didn't come home till 10 o'clock. Or you said you'd clean up, come on, parents, you said you'd clean up your room, and you didn't clean up your room, right? Whatever the thing is. I have some experience with you of what I've seen, and that affects how I trust. The other thing we bring to the table is what we've been through. And this has nothing to do with the other person at all. But if you knew my stepdad, if you knew my brother, if you knew that person that was in my life, and you knew what I've been through, it doesn't matter if your record is perfect. I don't trust because of what I've been through. And we bring those things into every relationship that we walk into. So how do we do this trust thing? If you got the answer, then come take the microphone. No, <laughs> right? Don't, because you're going to come up here and then we're going to wrestle and we'll see who trusts and this will be messy. But that's what I was feeling. I was feeling it this week. So this is Pastor Mike just being transparent with you. I was feeling it. Because here's my dilemma. I've done quite a few weddings. And when you do weddings, almost without fail, you read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Almost without fail. Unless there is a specific request, I don't want that in there. We read that. As a matter of fact, I generally break that open and I break down what's going on in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I have had that chapter as part of my life since I was probably 14 or so years old. It's one of the first things I ever discovered in my children's Bible that had Jesus holding a little lamb and it was yellow and it was all sweet, right? I flipped that thing open to 1 Corinthians 13 and I started learning about what authentic love looks like. So let's walk through it. And here's Paul talking about love and he says some crazy things. He says, love is patient. Mm. Some of us just needed to hear that. I'm gonna let that hang in the room for just a second. Some of you are struggling with some patience right now. There's probably a whole message just percolating right there. Just feel it. I can wait. I'll be patient. You're like, move on. Nope. <laughs> Love is kind. Love is kind. Love is kind. It doesn't seek to undercut someone. It doesn't seek to manipulate them. It doesn't seek to tear them down. It doesn't cut the legs out from under them. It doesn't mock them behind their backs. Come on now, love is kind. It doesn't envy. Some of you are in one-up relationships with your spouse. Trying to one-up. I did the dishes. Why didn't you get the laundry done? Ouch. Doesn't envy. It, isn't bow it doesn't boast. It's not proud. <laughs> it's not rude. Man. I don't know about you, but Paul's just reading my mail right now, right? He's just messing with me. Love's not self-seeking. If you're an underliner, it's not easily angered. Some of us are too easily angered. He's like, hey, it doesn't say love never gets angry. It just isn't easily angered. It doesn't jump to anger. It doesn't start at anger. It doesn't bring the baggage of your heart and soul into this relationship that sets you with a hair pin trigger that the moment, come on, that your trust 
perspective, doesn't look good, you jump right to anger. It's not easily angered. I love this. It keeps no record of wrongs. Woo! I tell you, I was angry this week, trying to figure out how I was going to stand in front of you and say, hey, guess what? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And here comes the mic drop, verse seven. It always, everyone, look at someone and say always. Yeah. If you have your pen out to underline, you could just scribble that out and your Bible would be easier to read. <laughs> always? Paul, seriously, always? I don't like when words like always get dropped into the scriptures. I have to wrestle with words like always. Sometimes I can deal with, I can make exceptions. I could say, you're the exception. And you're the exception, and you're the exception, you're the exception, you're the exception, you're the exception. It always protects. Here it is. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Let's leave that up there. So I wrote about always on Monday, and then I went home angry. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to do this, Lord. This seems inconsistent because I know that you've asked a lot of me in terms of love. You've asked me to love some unlovable people. You've asked me to do things like love my enemy. You've asked me to do things like love my neighbor. And I don't trust in all those relationships. So how in the world do I handle this tension? Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe you guys are just like, oh man, that's cool. Just here, here's my, here's my account number and pen to every person you meet. Maybe you're just like, hey, it's great to meet you. My name's Mike, cool. Here's my kids. Do you want to watch them for a couple weeks? Right? God, it always trusts. Like, wait a second, wait a second. So I went home. I walked around. I talked to God. I got into my word. I called some friends because I was angry. I was like, I can't preach this weekend. I'm tied in knots because I don't understand how the scriptures can ask me to always do something that I can't figure out how to always do. Trust. I don't trust. Doesn't mean I never trust. I just don't always trust. Doesn't mean like my trust is completely broken. My trust window isn't shattered. I thought about shattering that this morning. Someone said that. I, thought, uh, I don't think that's the right kind of glass to do that with. So what do we do with that? How do we process it? So I got up the next morning, clean, clean palette, processing, and I went, okay, what do I know about God? I know he's not going to ask me to do something impossible unless he empowers me to do that thing. All right? He's not going to ask me to do something impossible unless he empowers me to do that. I also know that it seems wildly inconsistent for an expectation to be out there for me to just completely and utterly trust the way I'm thinking about trust. Here's the problem. I memorized this. I'd use this at weddings. And so this is the language that I know how to use in terms of trust. And I said, so maybe, maybe I'm 38 years old and I still don't know what trust is because I must be doing this wrong if I can't figure out how to even be empowered to accomplish this. So I got into my Bible and I started asking some questions. Okay. Does the Bible really ask me to trust every person completely the way I think of when I think of trust? So let's do a little whirlwind tour and let's see what the scriptures really say. 
Let's start with Jesus. He's a good person to start with. Did Jesus completely trust every person that he interacted with? Let's take a look. I'm in John chapter 2, verse 23, right before he meets Nicodemus, and we see John chapter 3, and you know, everybody knows 316, for God so loved the world. He's talking to some Pharisees, some religious zealots of the time, and they're trying to manipulate him, but they're excited about all of the miracles. Look at this text. I'm not making this up. It says, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Look at this. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. Verse 24, verse 25. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now that's interesting. That's interesting. What's happening there is Jesus sees that these folks are manipulative, that they're trying, come on now, to integrate themselves, to get him to physically trust himself to them. And he goes, "Uh, no, 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 no. Your track record is not right. Your heart is not right and your motives are not right. And because your track record's not right, your heart's not right, your motives are not right, I'm not going to entrust my physical safety, my physical presence is not going to be entrusted to you because I can see what's in your heart isn't trustworthy. It's pretty interesting. Some of you are feeling pretty tense right now. That's good. All right, so we have, we have some indication that Jesus in, in the flesh, God in a bod, did not, did not, come on now, did not, completely entrust himself the way I think about trust to people who were clearly untrustworthy. Let's go back in time a little bit. Look at Psalms. About 1,300 years before, David writes, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So David understood. He'd been betrayed out on the battlefield, experienced some tough stuff. And he said, you know what? God is the only place where complete and utter trust makes sense. And it's better. doesn't mean never trust man, but the best trust we can possibly have is in the Lord. So Pastor Mark, are you saying we shouldn't trust anybody? Okay, let's get to Paul because Paul is the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians and wrote that this is what love demands. I'm in Acts chapter 15. Paul didn't write this, but this is about Paul. Luke wrote it. And he tells a story about something that happens with Paul. See, Paul had a relationship with someone that went sour. And look at how Paul reacted in this relationship when someone broke trust with him. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He's saying, hey, we've been preaching the word of God from town to town. Let's do a lap and just check on everybody and see how they're doing. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, who was also called Mark, with them. Verse 38. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the elders of the, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Do you see what happened there? They went on a missions trip together and halfway through, even though he was committed, Mark bailed out. And so when they went back around, Barnabas, the encourager said, hey, let's take Mark again. And Paul was like, "Uh uh-uh, that guy broke trust with me. He didn't follow through on what he said he was gonna do. 
He wasn't consistent. He didn't stick it out. Doesn't mean I don't care about him or don't love him, but he's not in the circle of trust anymore, right? He's out. Circle of trust, Mark, right? Paul says, I'll take Silas. You can take Mark if you want to take him, but I'm not taking him. This is the same guy that wrote, love always trusts. So now I'm, uh, now I'm in it. Now I'm up to like my neck and I'm studying and I'm like, all right, God, help me figure this out. So I started looking at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verse seven. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm with you, Paul. I get what you're trying to say. I get that you're trying to explain to us the immensity of authentic love. I get that you're trying to paint a picture for us who are naturally manipulative, who are naturally trying to twist things in such a way that it fits our agenda and our needs and that it serves us and doesn't give ourselves away, that you're trying to break that in us and teach us about what love is. And so I get all of these qualifications that you're trying to make, but always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres is hard for me to swallow. So I started looking around. And I was like, there's got to be some other interpretations of this text. So let's take a look at the New American Standard Version. See, I learned it in the NIV. We're going to skip a slide here. Skip two ahead. Yeah. So in the New American Standard, they use different language. And all of a sudden, things started to filter in for me. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the same passage. Do you see how they didn't use the word trust to explain the word that Paul wrote? Instead, they said believes. It believes. They said it hopes. They said it endures. And I began to go, oh, light bulbs start going off. Paul didn't write in English. And from time to time, we get English words that don't always make sense the way we read them now compared to what Paul wanted us to understand. But I had to go further. I was like, okay, that's one thing. Let's go to the ESV. A lot of you guys like the ESV. ESV, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Okay, a picture's starting to get a little bit clearer for me. My trust window's starting to make a little bit more sense. Then I went to the message because I was like, oh, that's a paraphrase. How does, how does the message kind of sum it all up? It says, it puts up with anything, it trusts, who does it trust always? Oh, that's a big distinction. Is that implied in the word? Where did they get that from? It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps on going to the end. Here's the thing I want you to catch. The focus and the core of our trust always comes out of our relationship with God. It always comes back to us understanding who God is. He is the one that we can trust implicitly. And because our trust is in God and because we believe that you and I and everyone in here was created in the image of God, we never get to completely abandon trust. We always get to be in a place where we believe the best. Now, I might not trust you, Kevin. I may not give you my wallet, but I can believe the best in you. I can believe in the core of you that there's always something that's redeemable. I can believe in the very center of you when God breathed life and gave you a soul, that that is good, that that is redeemable, that that is the hope of, the, uh, 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 of your future, that God breathed that life into you, that it came from him. That's where it's from, and that's good. And even if your behavior has caused me, I'm sorry, am I getting real close? The spit's coming out, the anointing's getting all over you. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll back up. But I can believe that. I can believe that. 
it always looks for the best and it never looks back. So let's talk a little bit about how we do that in the real world. What's the real world look like in terms of trusting relationships? You see, every relationship needs to be viewed through the lens of trust. Every relationship needs to be viewed through the lens of trust. And that's what I wanted you to see here. This is my trust lens. So I'm looking out here right now at all of these relationships and I have a lens of trust. It filters out the way that I see people and the way that I see the world. The problem is that trust erodes when there's a gap between expectation and reality. So here's how we're gonna, here's how we're gonna do this. You guys over here are gonna be my expectation, okay? And you guys over here are gonna be my reality, all right? So you're what actually happens, you're what I'm hoping to happen, and you guys are my trust window, okay? If you're in the center, you're kind of like my trust window. So here's what happens to us. We have expectations. Hey, can you pick up something on your way home? I need you to stop by the store and grab something. And you say, Yes, Sylvia, I'd be happy to stop by the store and grab the one ingredient that's critical for the dinner that you've been working on for four hours and that you just need to know because you couldn't leave the house because you were watching the kids, you were doing all of the stuff at home, you couldn't get to the store and you asked me for one thing and your expectation is I'm gonna do it. Unfortunately, Chris showed up, he got home and he didn't have the ingredient. Yeah. So you know what happened to your trust window? It got a little cloudier, right? There's a gap. The gap between your expectation and your reality is your window of trust. It's your window of trust right here. So you guys got a little cloudier. You're not so sure anymore. Later on, come on now. You're like, hey, what time are you going to get home today? And you say, oh, I'll be home at five. Five o'clock rolls around, you're not there. You know what happened? At 5.05, your mercy level went way down. Right? It went way down. Why? Because my window of trust is getting foggier and foggier. I'm getting less and less trustworthy. I'm getting less and less trust-filled, and I'm thinking of you as less and less trustworthy. You may have an amazing, amazing reason why you're five minutes late but it's shifted. Sean, we made an appointment. I said, hey, I'll meet you at lunch at 12.30. At 12.30, I'm there, and you're not there. 12.35 rolls around. 12.40 rolls around. 12.45 rolls around. 12.50 rolls around. Now I'm hungry. Something happened to my circle of trust as I got hungrier and hungrier. I started thinking worse and worse about you. I started thinking really bad things. (laughs) I was hungry. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry. You meet the worst version of me. Some of you are like, yes, right? My trust window got less and less and less visible. It always looks for the best. Here's the problem. Trust erodes when there's a gap between expectation and reality. I expected you to do this and you didn't do it. I expected you to care and you didn't care. I expected you to listen and you didn't listen. I expected you to be there and you weren't there. I expected you to hold my confidence and you didn't hold my confidence. I expected something and it didn't happen. And as a result, my trust window gets cloudier and cloudier 
and cloudier and my lens of trust gets affected. Now here's the problem, is I take this lens of trust that got all cloudy when Sean didn't show up, come on now, and now I got an appointment with Charlie at 12 o'clock and it's 12.01 and I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind. I can't believe this, I'm getting stood up again. Because now my trust, come on, my trust lens has gotten cloudier and cloudier and cloudier and cloudier. So here's what I wanna talk about. You have the power when there is a gap between what you expect and the reality to choose how you handle that gap. And Paul says, trust asks us to believe the best. You see the difference there? He's not saying trust says, hey, here's the keys to my house and, you know, car and my social security number. And it's not asking for that. He's saying what trust does is it says there is something inside of you that is valuable, that is good. And when you haven't met my expectation, I get to choose my response in that moment. And love demands that I expect. I fill that gap with believing the best about you. And that's what trust looks like. Now, here's the problem. The opposite of trust is suspicion. The opposite of trust is suspicion. So here's what ends up happening to us when we don't build into our lives a basic, come on, foundation of trusting and loving. We start with suspicion. He's late. He's having an affair. He didn't call me. He didn't call me. He doesn't care. She didn't have things ready for me. She doesn't appreciate how much, how hard I work. If she appreciated how hard I work, she must not appreciate it or it would have been ready, what she said would be ready. And the moment that I needed it. And we begin to put a default position because our trust window has gotten so cloudy of suspicion. Now here's what happens. We are not dumb. And you know when someone's default position towards you is suspicion. You can sense it. You can feel it. When you feel like, hey, if, I don't, if you text me and I don't text you back within the first like 10 minutes, you don't assume it's because I don't like you, right? You assume I'm probably busy or I didn't have my phone on me or it wasn't close or something was going on or I didn't have the answer right then. That's what trust does. Suspicion goes, hey, I texted him and he didn't respond right away. He's looking for some excuse to not do or say what I want, right? That's what suspicion does. Suspicion fills the trust gap and then people can feel that. And it is impossible to have healthy relationships where suspicion is in between your expectations and your realities. Because let's face it, all of us are gonna miss the expectation from time to time. Life happens. You're gonna miss the expectation. Marshall's gonna say, hey, can you call me at three o'clock and three o'clock's gonna roll around and there's gonna be something that happened at school and your kids and there was a pickup and you couldn't call them and you couldn't do it. There's gonna be a gap. And if the gap that Marshall leans to is suspicion, he's gonna end relationship with me. It's gonna affect, it's gonna put a wedge into that relationship. Or, or trust, ask him to believe the best. For him to say, you know what? He was gonna call me at three o'clock. And he didn't, he said he would. But you know what? I believe that he would have wanted to call me if something didn't happen. I'm gonna assume the best. You know, there was a study 
It was a brilliant study. I wish I should have got the author. I didn't get it for you. But they were, they were interviewing married couples that had been married for a long, long time. And they were asking, what were the keys? They were trying to mine out the, the keys to these marriages that had lasted a long time. And they were expecting to hear communication. They were expecting to hear skill sets that they had. But what came through the survey more than anything else at the top of the list was that they basically assumed the best about one another. And, and the, the way the survey was worded was, love really is blind. Love really is blind. Love really says, I don't know why you didn't show up, but you know what? I love you and I'm sure, come on now, that there's a reason why you didn't show up. There's a reason why that didn't happen. And so I trust you. And if I find that there is a gap between my expectation and the reality, and it happens over and over again, I'm gonna lead with trust and believe there's something good in you, not bad in you. Now I gotta, come on now, some of you are angry because you're like, wait a second, wait a second. This person has always never done this, whatever, right? At work, they stole the credit for my idea. I'm never trusting them again. At wh Whatever it is, right? You know that there's a gap there, so here's the problem. We do from time to time hit a gap with people. Let, let me back up. I'd say probably 75% of our relationships would just go from, from like here to way over here if we just led with believing the best in somebody. We might actually find out information that we didn't have. You know what happens to me over and over again? I end up talking to somebody. Now, they, they, they didn't, like Marshall had an appointment with me, doesn't show up, and I, and I begin having a whole conversation in my head, right? Oh, girl, you know, and, I, and in that conversation in my head, I'm just destroying Marshall, and he, he's just, you know, silently weeping in a corner, and I'm like, you think your time's more valuable than mine, and I was ready, and you were there, right? No, I, you know, of course, I never do that, Marshall, but, but you get the idea, right? That's what's going on in my head. Then all of a sudden I talked to Marshall and he goes, yeah, my kid was in the hospital. I didn't have cell phone coverage in there. I go, oh, well, I didn't know that. That changes things. I probably also would have done what you did when your daughter fell and broke her arm and you didn't have cell phone coverage. I would have probably made that. Yes, I would have certainly made that. Oh, guess what? I'm no longer feeling all of this stuff. Half of the time, our tension is we don't have the information. So we jump to an assumption based on our trust window and how cloudy it is. Most of the time it's resolved when we get the facts. And that's why the biblical model and answer for when there's a gap between our trust and our expectation, it's in Matthew chapter 18. It says, just go to your brother and talk to him. Go and deal with it. Deal with it rightly. And if you don't get resolution, go get another brother and come back. And the testimony of two or three elders, you'll know what the deal is. And if someone still proves not trustworthy after that, then you move on and you change the relationship and you put boundaries in the relationship and you have healthy, come on now, healthy boundaries between you and them because they have proven that they are not trustworthy. And the scripture says, if you've gone ahead and confronted and dealt with the issue and there hasn't been repentance or change, that you move on in that relationship and you treat that relationship differently. But it doesn't say you get to stop loving that person, believing the best about them and caring about them. It just says you now have a boundary that you can put in place. Here's the problem. We don't want to confront. We're frustrated when someone violates our trust. We'd rather just go, ah, I've already had that conversation in my head a dozen times. It doesn't go well. I'm done with them. I'll just move on. And Paul says, now that, that's not okay in loving relationships. That's not, come on now, that's not the God that you serve and live for. That's not how that looks. We have to 
have the courage to confront. Now, some of you are like, I don't like confronting. To which I say, good. If you really liked confronting, there's probably, you know, there's only like 8% that really, really like confronting. And most of the time, it's no fun confronting them. Because they just like, you know, they like the fight. Most of us aren't in it looking for a fight. But we just have to get the information. You can't cloud up your trust window and you've never got the information. You know this is true in your life. You've seen this time and time again. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my life recently. Frustrated with me without the information. Frustrated with them without the information. You know how that gets solved? Conversation. Confrontation. Dealing with it. It's the reason that we built on the, uh, into the confession app this idea that confession isn't just, God, here's all my stuff. That's not a biblical model of confession at all. Confession is, God, here's all my stuff. Now, person who I've offended, here's what I've done. That's what confession is, right? That's what actually leads to change and transformation. That's the biblical model of confession that we walked into because genuine confession leads to genuine change. Genuine, come on, trust leads to genuine relationship. You've got to have trust. And the only way you're going to get it when there's a gap is if you have the courage to go and have the conversations and to get the information. In that survey of all those married couples, I mean, I'll put it on the website. It's pretty funny. But the basic premise is just, hey, I don't know why they were late. I'm sure they had a good reason. Hey, they didn't get the thing I needed. I bet something happened. Hey, you know what? Sometimes they're forgetful. I still love them. <laughs> all of a sudden, it changes the dynamic. But we begin thinking, come on now, because of our experience of what we've had happen in our lives or because of what we see, the patterns, we start jumping to conclusions and failing to trust. And here's what the scripture asks us to do. Here's what Paul asks us to do. Here's what the, the spirit of God asks us to do. Lean in and trust. Lean in and trust. Lead with believing the best about people. And if it doesn't line up, then confront have the conversation. And if the confrontation ends without resolution, come on now, then create a healthy boundary, but still believe the best for them. And that's trust. See, it took me a whole week to get there <laughs> because I started with, I'm not giving every single person my bank account. Not every single person I know gets to watch my kids. Not every person I just meet on the street, come on now, can stay in my house for a week. I, I don't understand what you're talking about. That's not What's being asked here? What's being asked here is in your relationships, believe the best, hope for the best, endure the hard things that happen, assume that the person's not perfect and give them some room to connect and restore relationship with you. You do that, you'll have loving, healthy relationships. So how does the app work? I'll give you some, uh, some basic tools. You can screenshot this on the screen once it's done if you want. Um, you could write these down, but I'm gonna give you some, some basic, basic trust steps right here, okay? Pretty easy. You can write these down. Trust step number one. This is how the application of trust works. If what I expect versus what I experience do not match up, I will assume the best. That's how trust app works. That's the first part. There's gonna be five steps, so stay with me. The first step is that. So if you guys and you guys don't align, you guys start with, I'm gonna assume the best. I'm gonna assume the best. Second, oh, if others fail to trust, 
I'll come to your defense. Whoo. If I'm in the room, come on now, this is what happens. This happens in your home. It happens in your workplace. If I'm in the room and they say, oh, last time I had an appointment with Dan, he didn't show up. Yeah, Dan never shows up to the, wait, time out, time out. My trust lens is on. You know what? I'm going to come to Dan's defense. I know Dan. I know that's not his heart. And so I'm, because I'm going to build that trust, I'm going to say, if you have that, have you talked to Dan about it? No, then stop. Stop right now. Because that's how we handle things in love. If others fail to trust, I'll come to your defense. Next. <laughs> if what I experience begins to erode my trust, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. If I'm saying, hey, every time you say we're gonna get together, we don't get together. Every time I send you an email, you don't reply. Every time I, every time I lean in, I try to share my feelings, you shut down. Every time you know, I have an idea, it seems like when we go into the meeting, you take all the credit for the idea. Every time I ask you to clean up your room and you say your room's clean and I walk in there, it's not really clean. Every time, every time, before I let my window, come on now, get, get hangry, <laughs> before I let it get too crazy, I'm gonna make a decision. I'm gonna take the responsibility, trust asked me to do this, to go to you and talk to you about it. Why you don't understand, they're not approachable. Okay, take someone with you. Say, you know what, Leah? I love you and I want to trust you. So help me to understand why this isn't happening and start the conversation. It's not happening because I'm never gonna do that. Okay, great. At least now we know and we're there. It's on the table, right? Well, it's not happening then because this big other thing's going on in my life and I can't be able to do it. Okay, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. How can I help? What can I do to help? Do you see how it changes the dynamic? That's what trust does. Trust assumes the best and goes and has the conversation. Go have the conversation. Fourth. <laughs> when I'm about to fail my commitment, come on, I want to be trustworthy. I'll tell you ahead of time. Do you know how powerful it is when you're sitting waiting for a meeting, you get a text message, hey, I'm running behind. Something came up. I'm on my way though. Hey, I know I made that appointment. I know I made that commitment. I know I told you I'd do that thing. I know I said I'd be there, but something's come up and I just gonna, I recognize that there's gonna be a gap between your expectation, come on, and what really happens. And so I'm gonna lean in ahead of time. Then you know how much trust that would build? That always builds trust. Someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, we had an idea, but we're not gonna be able to just, uh, okay, good. Thanks for sharing that with me. Thanks for giving me the information. Thanks for trusting that I'm not gonna freak out because you didn't meet my expectation, but that I'm gonna believe the best about you that somehow this is gonna work out. So you have the hard conversation. I'll tell you ahead of time. Some of us hide and that's why trust gets eroded. We're embarrassed. We're shamed. We feel like somehow we're all, here comes the pattern of just letting everyone down again. And so, so we just withdraw and we let you feel however you're gonna feel and just think, well, it's on you to deal with it. If we would just take the step and say, okay, I'll tell you ahead of time. Last trust step. <laughs> when you confront me about my gaps, I'll tell you the truth. <sighs> sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes, sometimes the expectation was, hey, this, and the reality was this. And there's a truth in here that I don't want to maybe admit, I don't want to maybe deal with, I don't maybe want to fess up to, but we can't have trust unless we, hey, you know why there was a gap there? I'm going to be honest with you. I forgot. <laughs> I, I know it's frustrating, but I, I just, I really did forget. I got going. I forgot. You know why there's a gap there? I really didn't want to do it. I was just hoping it would go away. 
<laughs> right? I really, I wasn't going to do it. You know, why, you know why there's a gap there? I, whatever it is, right? I dropped the ball. I can be honest. We can be honest. That's what builds and restores trust. So here's my challenge for you. Would you stand with me? I'm going to let you go because you're trusting that I'm going to let you catch the end of this game. I just want you to think for just a moment about your own response when there's a gap. Do you naturally trust and believe the best or do you naturally believe the worst? Is your trust window like way worse than my trust window over here? It's like both sides just, nope. You're like, I just rust, right? I'm not even, I'm not even anywhere close. Now I'm covered in this stuff, it's awesome. I hope it doesn't ruin the microphone. I'm going to trust. <laughs> Don't forgive me. What's your response? What's your natural default? Grade yourself. One to ten. Ten, you do awesome. One, you stink at it. Where do you think you are? What would it take to make a choice to trust? What are some of the relationships right now that are broken because you haven't done the thing you need to do to restore the trust? You haven't confronted or maybe when confronted, you weren't honest. Are there some places right now where there's a boundary that's appropriate that you haven't put into place and someone has a hold of your heart and you're giving away your trust and you shouldn't be giving away your trust because they've continually violated that expectation and you haven't confronted? I'm not sure. Here's what I believe. The scriptures invite us into so much of a better relationship than that that we're supposed to, we're designed, come on, to love one another and be in relationship. Next couple weeks, you're gonna hear nothing more than you're gonna hear how important and critical it is that we have good relationships. When we talked about the confession app, we talked about how important it is that we have people around us that we trust, that we can share our life with, that we can say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I've dropped the ball here. There's constantly a gap between my expectation and reality right here. We need those kind of relationships. And they won't work if you're so clouded because of what you've seen or what you've been through that you can't begin to believe the best. Some of you, the question is, can you just trust God? Maybe the world has just been so unfair lately that you're just like, God, do you really have this? Are you really the rock that I can put my back on? Are you really the foundation that I can anchor my soul to? And without that picture of trust, you'll never be able to build trusting relationships this way if you can't do that.